This is episode 152 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined today by Paul Noonan, Bradford, and Ryan Top. We got the entire gang back together. How are we guys holding up here? I'm great, James. I've got uh, I've got my LaCroix water, LaCroix, LaCroix. LaCroix. I've got hibiscus, so I'm I'm doing great. Like no complaints here. Not not anything possibly wrong in the world to complain about. It's all fine. No, everything's been great. Everything's great in the last week, right? Yeah, of course. Just uh, chugged my ice brew coffee, so uh, get ready for hyperactive Brad in about fifteen minutes. Oh boy, (laughs) I'm gonna be cross talking and uh, throwing out conspiracy theories. Life's gonna be great. I appreciate the warning. Yeah, we can prepare now. Uh, We'll get the conspiracy corner ready for you. But first, we have a reminder. We are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing this week. You know they're great beers like Block Party and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. I used a few of those to help me get through this pirate series myself. So the next time you're in Madison, please stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side or look for it at your local grocery store. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKETailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate. For just $5 a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods as we get closer to Packers season here. And you also get question priority here on this podcast every single week. Well, would it really be a baseball season without a nightmare series at PNC Park for the Brewers? I feel like that's a pretty regular thing, and we're kind of actively in the middle of one <laughs> as we record this on Sunday morning. At this relative time of the season, you're about halfway through the season. Like, it's yeah. always about that time when you go to PNC and just have a nightmare series, which is funny because overall, they've done fine against the Pirates under Stern's counsel. Like, they're the numbers yeah. overall are pretty good, but yep. they always seem to have, like, one nightmare series there. So is that mid July one? It's the the one at the end of a nine or ten game road trip, which I think is the case with this one too. So yep. it's always like the get me the hell out of here series with the Pirates, and uh, things aren't going too well. The Brewers are continuing to struggle to get over the five hundred hump. I think they've gotten to five hundred a few times, but have not actually gotten over that at that point. Uh, they're eleven and four as we record this after two uh, really ugly, painful losses against the Pirates. After Saturday's 12 to 5 loss, Josh Lindblom said there isn't a guy in the clubhouse right now that's not frustrated, uh, saying it's at 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. So I guess we'll pose the same question to you guys. I guess, Brad, how frustrated are you with the Brewers now, 1 to 10? I think watching this Pirates series, especially going in when they played a, a decent week of baseball, relatively. I mean, the twin series was disappointing because they kept giving up leads, but I mean, at least like the offense started to seem like it was coming aboard again. And now you have the pitching falling apart and the Brewers are the only team the Pirates have beat more than once. And they actually count for 50% of their wins. Three of their six wins heading into today's game are against the Pirates or Brewers. So it's, it's pretty disappointing when you have a team that should be bullied, bullying you and actually outscoring you 19 to 7. (laughs) <laughs> so go looking yeah. at it from that perspective i think it's hard not to be incredibly frustrated when this is a team that a playoff contender in a normal playoff setup 
should really be embarrassing. Yeah, hard to disagree there. And I think you can look at the pitching as maybe we just had a few one-off things. Um, sort of the back of the rotation got beat up a little bit. Um, Perdomo got beat up, a li- not a little bit, kind of a lot. Uh, and these are things that, you know, we'll have good pitchers pitch later. We have good pitchers that are proven in the bullpen. That's fixable. But the continued struggles of the offense are very frustrating. And, yeah, they had the they had the blow-up against Minnesota for nine runs not that long ago. They had a, a nice series against the Cubs. But there are just so many games when they don't show up at all, especially early. They're still doing the early, the early inning thing where they yeah. just can't get ahead ever, and it's super frustrating. Um, if, if you want to feel better, they're not actually the worst offense in the division by runs per game. So it could be worse. That's the Cardinals, um, <laughs> the, who average 3.88 runs per game, which is the second worst in baseball. The and Rangers still have played worst. like 10 games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's that too. But the, watching the Milwaukee offense is just painful. So I wish they were at least more entertaining if they were going to be bad. It, it's just boring. I'm not exactly sure what the overall thing with this offense is yet. I'm still, I still think that there is a lot more talent here and we're going to see better performance down the road, but how much that matters is kind of an open question at this point, because the season is so short and it's so abnormal. And at least they do have the extra room to actually make the playoffs. If they can kind of get their, their stuff together, they're not far right now out of the playoffs. They're not in a terrible position. And like if you if you take a step back, if the Brewers are able to win on Sunday, God willing, uh, it's a five and five road trip. And Which that's is not terrible. Yeah, no, exactly. like that's fine. Right. It's totally fine. Yeah. Like a five and five road trip when you're going through three cities, especially in this in this environment that we're in right now where uh, Corona is happening. And I can't imagine that road trips are any fun at all for these guys. Like it's got to be just an absolute grind, especially once you get to like that third city, it's got to just mm-hmm. suck. So, you know, hopefully they're able to get hot at some point. That's what we're going to need to see. And they're going to have chances to do that. They've also seen when we look at the offense struggling early in games, I think it's largely because they've seen a, a large number of pretty good starting pitchers. They've, they have not gotten too many bad pitchers. And when they have, they've generally beaten up on them, I guess with, Sort of the exception, Derek Holland did a number on them on Saturday, you know, comparatively, and they were only able to get going a little bit later. Though, was Hura's home run, the three-run homer, uh, was that off of Holland or was that off the bullpen? I thought that was off of the, like, Danish guy, right? The guy with the, like, very complicated name. Oh, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So, it, yeah, I mean, so Holland had a good start against them, but generally, like, they've been, they've been hitting, you know, subpar starters, but... Kent Amida's been basically the best starter in the American League or one of the the couple best starters in the American League this season, even before the Brewers saw him. And he shut them down for nine or for eight innings, which isn't ideal, but it's also not something you you look at and go, okay, that's terrible. You're getting shut down by a great pitcher. That's doesn't it feel like they've been no hit in deep into games a few too many times this season? I mean, it seems to happen all the time. Yeah. <laughs> at least yeah. through three or four innings, they've got one if any hits. So I think that's kind of part of the frustration too. And then the Reds come to town and the Reds pitchers really shut the Brewers down in the last series. So, you know, you're playing four games, so you're likely, I don't have the probables in front of me, but you're likely going to see Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray again. Can't wait. Oh, oh, Trevor Bauer. Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Trevor Bauer for multiple reasons. Not only does he shut <laughs> you down, but he won't shut his mouth. There we go. Uh, yeah, so like as as we were mentioning, a lot of the problems, I guess, in the last week or even the entire season has been the offense. I know Paul had looked at the war numbers on Twitter the other day, and they, they weren't great. So as uh, uh, through Saturday, I should say, there's only five batters above replacement level if you go by baseball reference. Uh, Bangrass is a little bit more forgiving. They've got nine players above zero war. But I think the concerning thing that Paul kind of pointed out is Lorenzo Cain is still like second or third on the team in war, and he hasn't played in weeks. Uh, uh, yeah. so, so so that's not great. He's he only had like six or seven games, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, that's right. He's second by B-War. He is fifth by F-War. So um, he's tied with Keston here by F-War. So. <laughs> good times. Yeah. So obviously, like, the numbers aren't very good right now at all. Uh, very few people actually producing. I think you look at Yelich just hitting like Yelich now. Keston here is starting to come around. But outside of those two, nobody is really hitting at all. And nobody's really hitting the ball hard either. I kind of dug up the stat cast numbers. And the Brewers are 25th in the majors in hard hit percentage right now. Only three players, Yelich. Kira and Jerko are averaging a 90 mile an hour exit velocity. Eric Sogard and Omar Narvaez are like bottom 2% of the league in exit velocity. So I think a lot of the problem too, to Paul's point that they're just boring to watch is when they do make contact, it's like a ground out. It's just terrible and frustrating to watch. And I don't know, I guess Paul, is there any hope <laughs> going forward here? Uh, I mean, there's, there's always <laughs> some hope. Can't go much worse, can it? It can't go much worse. Um, it there are some guys who you know. There's guys who maybe will turn it around. Here's the thing: like, there's hope. Like, Avi Garcia is having a pretty good season. He could, uh, but not great. Um, slugging 380, but at least he's getting on base. But like, he might pick it up a little bit. That's fine. Yelich might hit better. That's fine. Um, and Hira might even continue to improve. But then, like, uh, is is Mark Mathias, who's like pretty high on the team offensively, going to continue to hit well? He's back, right? He, they recalled him the other day. Yeah. Yeah, he had a couple doubles in yesterday's game. And he had a couple doubles, so he's he's like been a big part of the offense when he's been in the game. Is that going to keep up? I, I I don't think so. Like, uh, uh, just a lot of the guys, it's hard to see coming around. Now, maybe Smoke will, who is by F4 the worst guy on the team, by the way. Negative point four. <laughs> throw that in there um, by war. Um, he Like, he's not actually that bad, so maybe he'll pick it up a little bit. So, like, sure, there's there's hope that some of these guys can turn it around or turn it on even more, but there's also just a lot of, you know, the, the lineup's made up of a lot of the guys that they gambled on and kind of hoped that they'd get bounced back or lucky or good platoon seasons from. And those guys can sometimes not pay off. And when you have too many of them in the lineup, this can happen. So uh, hopefully some of them just get hit, get hot, hit, get streaky. That's fine. But I don't think there's any guarantees of that. I'm very worried about Narvaez at this point. He looks quite terrible, and his exit velocity is bad. He just looks lost offensively. He's actually been better defensively than than he's been given credit for, which kind of keeps him around, which is crazy. But man, he looks awful at the plate. Like I, he, not at all like last year. Just a completely different guy. Yeah, and I'm actually going to argue hard with you that this has been mostly a result of their gambles on like their option players. I okay. think the the issue is more so that you're not getting the production from the people you expected production from. So Christian Yelich and Keston here are finally starting to come around. So we're starting to see run production 
actually come into that. And if you look at the stat cast information on here or on Yelich, things are actually starting to look optimistic for him again. You're actually seeing him get that, uh, you know, hard hit percentage up. He's over 50% on hard hit uh, balls for, mm-hmm. um, in Keston's up to 47.6%. So you're starting to see that come back, which those are the two anchors of the offense. So, you know, they need to be good in order for you to succeed. Uh, Jed Jerko is probably the only guy besides smoke who's consistently in the lineup. Um, who is part of that group and is actually performing well relative to what you're expecting. Yeah, he's only hitting 219, but he has a 531 slugging percentage with a 119 WRC plus and only a 222 BABIP. So you know that the 219 average is kind of a result of bad luck in his 15 games, but he is starting to play better and has had some pretty big hits recently. So that's always nice to see. But you're looking at your obbies who are only putting up a 97 WRC plus but was brought in to anchor the offense here. Ryan Braun, who has a 78 WRC plus and is hitting 222. granted missed a lot of time and it's only 12 games in. And then of course your Omar Narvaez who was brought in to be the offensive catalyst and is doing no offense. He's doing the exact opposite of why he was brought in, as you mentioned. So I think it's more of those three that are really killing the offense when they actually get going. And when you have people like them and smoke who is of course the option guy who they were betting on for platoon splits and is underperforming you have three guys who are supposed to be sure bets on offense and one guy who is a gamble and all four are failing that's half your lineup failing at least orlando arcia has looked better this year i mean he doesn't have a 60 wrc plus he's at a 96 and luis urias has looked better pretty good in his uh time with the brewers so far so you have that they're still regularly shoving eric sogard into the lineup which i'm gonna get into why that doesn't make sense in a bit (laughs) <laughs> uh because so, I, I have some arguments about a recent move they made that we're going to discuss later and uh, that okay some- just for the guys that they gambled on just just to, for some perspective um justin smoke has a negative 0.4 um f4 brock holt who is no longer on the team has a negative 0.3 f4 eric sogard has a negative 0.2 f4 logan morrison also not on the team has a negative 0.2 f4 and ryan healy has a negative 0.1 f4 so they've all been below replacement level and having five major league players, well, not Ryan Healy, but five normal <laughs> major league players all be contributing less than replacement level simultaneously. And, you know, at least some of those guys smoke Sogard, um, Ben Gamble's in there too. And, you know, whatever that that's going to kill an offense. Like you need some of the guys who aren't the star the stars are bad too, but they might come around, but you need some of the other guys to actually play better than replacement level too. Yeah, and, but when your four regulars are not performing either, it, it just is like you're screwed. Even if they were performing, it wouldn't be doing anything for the offense regardless. Yeah, in another season, though, you might get like an MVP first half from Eric Thames or from Jesus Aguiar, and you're not you're not even randomly looking into one of those. Look, if we want to turn the conversation to should Aguiar and Eric Thames still be on the team, that's a different conversation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it should definitely be Thames at first base and not smoke, even though he's also having an awful season for the Washington last he time is. I checked. Yes, he is. He is. But, he's not good. But still, I love him, and I forgive him a lot more than Justin Smoke, so that's not a problem. Uh, meanwhile, Jesus is actually having a pretty good season for Miami which is a bummer that Miami is doing well, despite being the first COVID outbreak team and not suffering any of the karma from that. But 
yes, like you're right. Like the gamble guys that we've complained about all season, aside from Jericho, have not worked out, and that is problematic for the offense. But I think the bigger issue in the in regards to what the offense is going through right now is just they need the guys who are in there and expected to be in there every day to actually hit too. Yeah, this is I, I'm 100% with you on this, Brad, because if you look at it like the guys who are were brought in to be like supporting players they're they are getting a decent amount from uh Luis Urias now that he's up from talking about uh uh Orlando Arcia from Jed Jerko like you are getting production from him and from Manny Pena like that group of guys they're getting something from them but if you look at the the big guys you last year got a hundred yeah 174 WRC plus from Yelich this year you're getting 115 Last year with with Hira, it was somewhere in the 140s, right? I don't have it up in front of me right now, but it was yeah, and it's 130s, one, 140s, yeah, yeah, and now it's it's 104 this year, so basically just average. And Ryan Braun, obviously, the injury was there, and we know that that's part of the deal, but just the production too. Last year he was a well above average hitter, and so far this year we're getting yeah. Last year it was a WRC plus of. 117 this year it's 78 so like you're just not getting from the the core guys that you need to get production from you're not getting that and the other frustrating part in terms of the offense is when they do hit i mean they put up five runs yesterday yeah it wasn't and then you have to deal with 12 (laughs) runs on the other side because every pitcher who came out failed i mean Lindblom gave up three Suter gave up a couple yardley gave up one unearned and one earned then you have Perdomo and Rasmussen blowing up any chance of a comeback at the Mm -hmm. end. I talked before we started recording that I think Rasmussen was in an unfair position for how deep he's been into his MLB career. You know, you come out and the bases are practically loaded. You're dealing in a game where the team actually might have a chance of a comeback. I think when you think about what the losses look like and, uh, you know, those blowout losses like the ones against the Twins really stick in your mind. But when you think about what the losses actually look like, you're seeing like it everything's just going bad at the wrong times. And when things go right, it's not going right together. And that sucks because like baseball's based on those ebbs and flows kind of playing off each other. When you're going right, everyone's going right. But in this time, when the offense is actually hitting, the pitching is failing. When the pitching is actually doing well, the offense is getting no hit. So yeah, it, it's kind of like a you're damned all around season. Yeah. And I think Lindblom after Saturday was kind of saying something to that same effect too. part of the frustration is like they can't get everything to click at once. Right. We had a couple of weeks there where the starting pitching was excellent and the offense couldn't get anything going. Yep. We've had it in the last week, a couple of games where the offense scored four or five runs and then the pitching gave up a couple more than that. So it, it's just kind of that maddening. And you know, this is what happens with a 500 talent team, right? You're going to get these stretches too. Uh, where, you know, I, this is where everything averages out. To this point, we haven't really seen anybody kind of click all together. So I, that's definitely a part of the frustration, I'm sure. I think, and too, they haven't gotten any of those big moments. And when they get on the big or edge of like the big moment that tends to like really boost team morale, like how big would have been pulling out that extra inning win in Minnesota been? But then you right. have Jed Jerko getting stranded on a guy doing a push-up in the outfield at third base, and you can't <laughs> get the run across, which I get that Jerko is one of the slowest 
players in baseball, which is something I actually underestimated uh, until I was. It was pointed out to me that he is in two percent sprint speed. Yep. For, oh, <laughs> which is wow. incredible. Yeah, there's... yeah, that's incredibly bad. Um, I didn't realize he was quite that bad. Uh, I thought he always just looked a little slower than he actually was, but I always have the comparison of elite slowness of... Uh, uh, God, who was the catcher for the Brewers in like 2008? Johnny Estrada. Johnny, Johnny Estrada, Estrada was the I, slowest person in the yeah, world. Yeah, I always imagine like Johnny Estrada when I'm like, that's elite slowness. So I see Jed Jerko <laughs> actually making it to first base on a double um, and not getting thrown out, even though he hit it into the gap. And I'm like, see, he's fine. Nothing's bad here. And then people point me out that statistically, no, that's not true. Um, but he still should have tagged up at third. Like the outfield, Kepler had to do a push-up in the outfield. He did. And instead, you you end up in a bad situation and losing that game. And I think if you actually come out and pull out a victory in that situation – that's a morale boost that maybe yeah. trends upward in a game that actually does play off emotions that way. I mean, they did pound the twins the next game though, right? Like they True. did, they did momentum. come out. And so mm. like momentum is the next day's start in Burning baseball. Yeah. yeah. Was it the next game? <laughs> I thought they lost two than one Sunday. Everything blends together though. Right now. No yeah, time. Time doesn't matter. <laughs> time doesn't matter. No, but I, I do agree that I think we feel a lot better about this past week. If they win the twin series, uh, because that's one you don't ex- exactly expect to win either. So if they could have stolen two out of three, you feel a lot better about this week too. Yeah, they totally won the next game. I'm an idiot. They did. Uh, and then they got blown out 12 to two. Yes. And I, I will take responsibility for that because I'm the one that wrote that the Brewers pitching has been pretty good. And then like three straight <laughs> games of just getting like torched. Yep. Yeah. Oh, no. 12 to two was the week before. Yeah. It was to seven five. to one. Or what, it was seven <laughs> That's to one. it. So. Yeah. Too many twins games. There's far too many twins games. That's the big problem. They're all done now. We're done. Yeah. Now we have Reds who have also been awful aside from their pitching pirates uh, at home. Hopefully that ends that issue. And that's the trade deadline. And we have to decide if we're buyers before we play the Tigers. Right. And we will get to that in a few minutes here. But kind of looping back to a bunch of the uh, one plus one or, you know, one year plus an option year players that the Brewers signed. Paul covered. None of them have really worked out. Uh, and in the last couple of days here, we saw the Brewers officially move on from one of those. They DFA'd Brock Holt after he started three for 30 with no extra base hits. Jace Peterson, another utility guy, throw at the wall, see if he sticks, is up to replace him. I know, Paul, that Brock Holt was probably one of the few signings you actually liked. So I guess how disappointing was his run here? I mean, it was disappointing, and and I liked it okay. But I thought I thought he was. I mean, it was the one you didn't hate. Yeah, it wasn't like Justin Smoke level. It's like okay, he gets on pace, right? But yes, but I'm he. He looks like he is just maybe done in baseball. He he looked really bad, and I know we were speculating about whether he's even gonna whether he'll stick with another team or anybody will pick him up. I kind of think if you get cut from the Brewer offense right now, that that might be it for you because. It, it's it's an offense that it should be picking people up, not cutting people. So uh, it's disappointing, but he's also, you know, just a guy that you hope works out and he didn't. So it's really not that disappointing. None of these guys failing is that disappointing on a one-on-one basis. It, it's really all of them failing. That's disappointing. Yeah. Everybody, but Jerko really is. Everybody, and let's not, let's not go. Let's not jump to conclusions on Jerko yet either. I mean, right. Yeah. He, he's, he's, He's a lot of slugging right now and not much else and see if that sticks around for the whole season or not. 
What I don't understand is how do you cut Brock Holt, but you don't cut Eric Sogard. They're having basically the same season. He has cool glasses. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, they're both negative 0.2.3 in war with the higher war going to, uh, Holt, but then they both have 9.1% hard hit percentage aside from the 1% boost in walk percentage and five more games. Sogard doesn't have much more going for him. Why is he getting like an extended opportunity when we're cutting Brock Holt? The defense. I mean, yeah, but Brock Holt's defense, if you look at the defensive war rating, was only a smidge lower than Holt or than Sogard. And I feel like he has more defensive versatility than Sogard. Aside from what Sogard, yeah. Sogard, Sogard can play shortstop better than Holt. We that's know that. the thing. That's Sogard is thing. Yeah, Sogard is a right side of the infield, I guess, or left side of the infield guy. And really Holt, I mean, he can play third base fine, I guess, but like you're mostly looking at at Holt as a potentially a second baseman where they now will be with with both uh Hira and Urias they have a lot of coverage there and then like in the corner outfields he's fine but he's nothing spectacular so yeah, yeah. I mean if we wanted to get really cynical we could go into the theory that Craig Council sees Eric Sogard himself <laughs> right so that's why he sticks around but no it's it, it's really more the defensive versatility and and the higher walk rate right yeah like he at least provides that but i look at holt stuff though and it like screams in as much as you can analyze 36 plate appearances which is next to nothing right but Mm -hmm. it screams like he's just been a victim of bad luck so far like a 136 babip on 36 plate appearances means generally nothing because it means you're not putting the ball in the play enough really but it it's still so low that it cannot not improve so you right. really you're cutting him because you're saying like, hey, in a 60 game season, we can't risk the patience of you not improving. But right. because Eric Sogard can make throw better from shortstop, even though we have to get the offense going and for some reason put him in all the time, uh, we're going to give him the extended chance. And it, it, You know, defense is a thing, but the Brewers haven't really seemed to care about defense. Second base, uh, like Mike Moustakis and Travis Shaw, like they haven't really seemed to measure that as being as valuable in the past, even though those happen to work well. So you'd think they'd go for the guy who has the better offensive profile, which is Brock Holt when he's not just dealing with constant bad luck. Yeah, I mean, when we talked to Chris Merring last week, he did mention Jace Peterson, right? He kind of said he stood out as a guy who's like going to hit big league pitching. Uh, maybe but if there's any name i would have ignored in that interview would have been jace peterson yeah no it was kind of like oh okay (laughs) because he's been a david stern's guy too like he he you know a a fringe garbage pickup that they've been trying to make be a thing for the last few seasons uh is is the most david stern's thing ever where they're like no jace peterson ultimate utility player will eventually be the guy yeah and i mean sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't for them so but the thing is too you there's there's all kinds of factors. I know Brock Holt was really frustrated about this season and about the idea of even playing yeah, it. Yeah, I wanted to mention that too. He's 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 had a lot. He's been very open about yes his conflicted feelings on this year. He's got a, a pregnant wife back home and a young son too. I think mm-hmm. uh, so. His attention has clearly been diverted, and he was talking about that, not using it 
as an excuse, but he was very much saying like, I would opt out if I didn't think I needed to play this year to continue my career. And right. So right. it's kind of a bummer to see that happen. Right. And I'm kind of happy for him now because he gets this year's salary and the, the buyout from the option. Right. Yeah. So. so it'll be interesting to see. I think that another factor here may have been that with Holt, they felt like there was a better chance that somebody was going to grab him up and take that salary off their hands in on the waiver pro wire, as opposed to Sogard, where that you would almost certainly clear waivers. He's making a little bit more money. And it, so there may have been some factor in that, too. Ultimately, I don't think it it changes a whole lot. I do think that there's a pretty decent chance we see Brock Holt like go back to Boston because all I saw in my timeline as soon as Holt was released yesterday was all these people uh, in Boston saying, oh, God, please bring him back. Please bring him back. They all want, they were so mad that he was let go and they just want him back so bad. And they do love him. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he went to Boston and just not even because he was happier or because he was more comfortable or whatever, just because baseball is baseball and there's these wild swings, like all of a sudden he's hitting the ball and will Brewers fans will go, well, we didn't see this with him. Why didn't we see this with him? Why didn't Stearns keep him all of that? So we get that to look forward to it. It was a real possibility. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah. I hope he does go back to Boston, uh, especially because it seems like Boston's throwing away the season anyway. They just traded their <laughs> two of their back end bullpen pitchers. So right. it, you might as well make things fun with, for fans by bringing back a fan favorite. Yeah, they need something positive there. Yeah. <laughs> put for Kumar. <laughs> put for Kumar, indeed. Uh, Which is why we right. should be cutting everybody. <laughs> yeah, Brad's still on the tank train. We'll we'll get to the deadline question I, in a second. I mean, it's here, definitely but... too late, but <laughs> I don't think he can catch the Pirates. <laughs> well, they're trying. Well, if you keep as losing we, to them, they absolutely can catch the Pirates if they keep. As we up. said a couple of weeks ago, they're they're actively trying to gain ground on the Pirates right now. Uh, all right, so with Jace Peterson called up, he's he's the latest guy from the alternate site to be called up, just to kind of hope that something clicks. That kind of leads us to our first Patreon question. Uh, it's from Jay Google. He wants to know at what point do they have to give some guys, some more guys at the alternate side a shot? The offense has not been great now for a third of a season. So I think we kind of touched on this, but I guess, Brad, is there anybody else in Appleton that they could bring in that would make a difference here? The guy I recently saw a few people talking about was Tyrone Taylor. Obviously you have a, a chunk of the outfield to fill and Ben Gamble has been filling it in like one plate appearance of offensive bang and then four plate appearances of absolute black holeness. Uh, but Tyrone Taylor, he can play all three outfield positions. He apparently has been hitting the ball very well and is the one guy that seems to provide some excitement to the lineup. Otherwise you're looking at Corey Ray. Do we need another 40 percent strikeout player on the team i don't oh. think so uh, <laughs> you have ronnie rodriguez who's been bad in basically every chance he got with the tigers uh, mark Mathias is already there we could try ryan healy again do you want that <laughs> uh, yes so I, I think the alternate site uh, you know it's heavy in prospects too so aside from the guys i named and a in a couple others you have uh, a lot of prospects you're looking at your uh, Tristan Lutz's Hedbert Perez's yeah there's key on there but they you know have had the chance to add them to the 40-man roster and obviously aren't interested in doing so 
Uh, do you want eighteen-year-old Eduardo Garcia to give it a try? <laughs> It'd be fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's. By the way, Aaron Ashby is finally there, so that's mm-hmm. nice. But yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's uh, the Brewers are deep enough in that way, in the way that they've been in previous seasons, that really you're going to get anything from that. The solution is the guys who are experiencing bad luck need to snap out of it. And the players who aren't producing just actually need to start producing or the Brewers built themselves an offense around a ball that was that isn't being used this season and likely may not be used again. And their offense is taking a big ding for it. And they bet on that being a product to help them boost their offense yet again. And it's not really playing a role this season. So in fact, it's playing a role against them this season and it being mm-hmm. the normal ball because mm-hmm. they had time to dry those balls and get the right laces. <laughs> We so, kind of covered that last week when we were when you were yep. gone. Uh, just the, yeah, the juiced ball all stars are not panning out for the Brewers this year. Because the not. balls are normal now. Right, right. The balls are normal now because they don't have to make triple A balls anymore. They might be bad again next season. So I guess if you bet on the option, you can do that again. So I, I think it's just, I don't think there's really hope around the corner. I think there's more hope if you need help for pitching. Like they just moved did a switch in the bullpen to try to boost things. I think there's more hope in that regard and more talent for you when you're looking at that angle. But yeah. when it comes to what you're looking for on offense, you'd really have to hope to get really lucky on guys like Ronnie Rodriguez, which I don't think I haven't been happy with adding him since they claimed him because I thought it was just stupid. He's just a guy who exists. So I mean, we what we need for the offense, we already went over this, but like we need Ryan Braun to stay healthy and to hit, like to be Ryan Braun from last year. We need Christian Yelich to continue. He's actually been fine since the start of the season. His numbers are being dragged down by that start of the season. So he is basically already back to, to the point which we already talked about. And we need Hira to just, you know, start making a little bit more contact and be a little bit more consistent, which I think you've talked about a bunch, Brad, that he's been sort of a slow starter in his career generally. And so what you want to see from him is probably going to happen. You just kind of have to hope that those things happen. And if that does, you're probably going to be okay offensively. And I think we have been seeing it to an extent recently like he has been hitting better recently with christian yelich the only problem is they're like the only two players hitting right now so that's fun yeah it it's definitely been rocky and i think a lot of people are kind of just questioning the overall you know people were questioning the brewers overall offseason from the start of it right uh, you know, Paul's been there right since the start, kind of questioning all these uh, throw them against the wall signings. And I think now we're seeing it especially more, you know, when the none of the platoons are working out. And that kind of leads us to another Twitter question. Alex Broadkey wants to know, well, it's like a half comment, half question. He's saying losing Grandall, Thames and Moose and replacing them with basically a hodgepodge of other teams throwaways maybe wasn't the best plan. <laughs> I guess, Paul, do you agree with that? At this well, point, yes, I do. I, I think my comment when they made all these signings was that this is what I do when I'm playing fantasy baseball and like my first baseman gets hurt and I have to get the last guy available on the waiver wire and that's Justin Smoke. I, like I, I think we've all <laughs> we've all been there at some point, um, but doing that with like a big chunk of the infield not ideal. So yeah, I'm, yeah, it's disappointing and I know we've been over 
maybe they would have signed Grandal if the you know if they'd had some foresight onto what the market would actually dictate and what would be there, and that's just kind of bad luck, and it kind of all spiraled from there. But uh, it, it would have been would have been nice to see maybe one more impact person instead of this. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, so you're you're right. It, the offseason looks especially bad just with nobody panning out and. It's what they have now. We just went over the AAA or the Taxi Squad roster, and there's just nobody there to take the place of any of these people, really. So, yeah, is what it is at this point, unless they decide to be buyers. And uh, I, yeah, and I think it's important to point out though that Mike Mustakas is not hitting like he did last season. He's not. No. Yes, Money Grandel is also not, not hitting like he did last season. He's the only guy not. you missed out on was probably the guy I hated you getting rid of because you basically got rid of him for free, which is Travis Shaw, who is hitting well but hitting well in a lineup surrounded by other good hitters but he, he's hitting well relative to what he did last year he's still yeah. only hitting 231 with a 690 ops and so, playing his home games in a triple a ballpark too while we're at it, but yeah <laughs> i keep forgetting that that's a thing actually because i've watched no blue jays games oh they're um, fun you should it's awesome. uh, i know i want to watch them but every time i go to watch them i end up watching a padres game so <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those guys, I don't think would be, they'd be better, but I don't think they'd be helping in the way we, we, they wouldn't be helping in the way they helped in 2019. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. we're missing right now is something that these guys aren't experiencing anyway. So when you look at what they're actually doing, it's it's not like that productions would have been there had they kept these guys. I mean, Yasmani Grandal is not having a Yasmani Grandal season, but he's being infinitely better than Omar Narvaez. However, Manny Pena is having a pretty good season right now, so I don't think it's that disappointing to just have him in the lineup more often. Well, and let's be clear, too. Moustakis and Grandal, I'm not going to say they are juiced ball guys to the extent that maybe like we think that Narvaez could be, but they if you look at the years that they've had their their big seasons – it's when the ball has been juiced and it has been built around power. You know, you also get really good plate discipline with Grandal, and that's something that doesn't go away, but you're also getting a very low batting average generally. So what's what's propped that up has been the big power numbers. And yeah, so those guys, I, I think, are kind of on that that same coin where really everybody in baseball is somewhat that without the juiced ball, things are just different. And it's it's a different sort of game. And the pitching just continues to be really, really brutal kind of across baseball. And we're seeing more and more with with expanded rosters right now. We're seeing teams adopt a strategy that is more in tune with what the Brewers have done and has been proven to work, which is, you know, shorter outings for your starters and throw more relievers at the problem and take advantage of the fact that they're only seeing batters once and most of them are throwing in today's game, everybody throws 95, 96. Like, literally, everybody is throwing hard. So mm-hmm. it, it really just kind of across the board, this is the, the way that the game is changing, and we shouldn't look at it like the Brewers necessarily, like, missed out on something because everybody's kind of dealing with the same stuff. Sure. I also think, too... It's important to keep in mind that David Stearns made a lot of these moves planning for a 162-game season, right? He was building depth on depth, and when you have a full-length season, you have more opportunity to kind of wait out some of these uh, situations where guys get off to a slow start. I think 
even Craig Council mentioned he he hated to see the team move on from Brock Holt after 36 plate appearances because they know he's a better player than that. They just don't have the time to screw around with that this year. So they had to kind of cut bait and move on. So I think I was saying at the start of the 60 game schedule, I actually felt better about their chances in a shorter season. I guess that just turned out to be wrong because everybody slumped at the same exact time, right? Suddenly that lineup doesn't look nearly as deep as I thought it was. Yep. But right. I think we all thought when talking about it, except for Paul, the cynist of the group, that <laughs> like it was impossible for all the bets to slump at the same time. But it's a similar point that uh, former friend of the show, Jim Breen, who left and cleared room for us and now is on the outs. Uh, he made a big point about that, about how, you know, nor- <laughs> uh, normally in that 160 game season, it, it you you can deal with that variance better and things play more to the norms but now in a 60 game season right. that gamble doesn't pay off and it's it's just that those high variance veterans can't really be accounted for in the same way yeah exactly well speaking of high variance uh the brewers pitching seemed to be good for a bunch of this early stretch of the season and then they went out and gave up 19 runs in two games against the pirates who are the worst team in the league so in the past two games they've actually pushed the team pirates team or above replacement level it, just to give you an idea of how bad <laughs> the last two days have been Fantastic. Good Lord. yeah uh and some breaking news before we recorded this show the the brewers announced that they were sending angel perdomo back down jp fireisen friend of the show unlike jim i guess according to brad <laughs> is back sorry up. jim i didn't mean it jim i didn't mean it i was talking on the fly while trying to pull up your twitter thread <laughs> that's fine he probably doesn't listen anymore anyway um <laughs> So I guess I wanted to get to, are you worried about the pitching starting to falter now, Ryan, in light of the last couple of days? Or do you think it's just kind of that high variance bullpen, back of the bullpen thing? I mean, that back of the bullpen has been amazingly good. And it's really hard to imagine, you know, Josh Hader continuing to have a zero ERA, David Phelps, (laughs) a 0.9 ERA, Devin Williams, a 0.93 ERA, even Yardley's 2.53, like... Yeah. I guess I should have said, yeah, I, I should have said the, the bottom of the bullpen as opposed to the back end. But yeah, you, you know, like you've seen Perdomo get roughed up, Rasmussen got roughed up. So it's like it's more like those middle guys that are kind of seemingly having a tough well, time yeah. in Pittsburgh here. Saturday, Yardley got beat up. Peralta had his bad outing, uh, actually gave up runs. I wouldn't even say it was a bad outing. He just he came in with the bases loaded for Woodruff again and wasn't able to get out of it. He wasn't able to get out of it on, on a pretty garbage uh, piece of hitting. For I forget who was up, but uh, doubled on the, oh, the yeah. first baseline off the end of the bat on a pretty good pitch that would have been either foul or caught most of the time. So yeah, I think he pitched fine, just got kind of bad luck. Yeah, uh, that seems fair too. And you're still looking at Freddie Peralta with a 1.8 FIP. So things are going yeah. pretty good there. And the that split between a 16.1 strikeouts per nine and 2.6 walks per nine. That's really, really good, folks. That's really Mm -hmm. good. And we're not talking about bullpen co-ERA leader Jed Jerko. (laughs) (laughs) Two-way threat. Ah, yes, he is. Yes, he is. So 
by the way, since since I saw Alex Claudio retire somebody, he's been bad. So I apologize. Yeah, that's your fault. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, especially in the Pittsburgh game where the Brewers actually, uh, you know, go out, score, run in the eighth, make it a two-run game, might have a chance against a bad Pittsburgh bullpen. And Alex Claudio's like, no, 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 guys, I got this. <laughs> and allows yep. three runs in an inning. 2.81 FIP for Claudio, though. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he'd be a lot worse, which is saying something, I guess. <laughs> well, it's partly that he hasn't given up a home run yet, so that's coming. Oh, yeah. That's well, he just throws too soft for the uh, non-juice ball era. Is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> he can't get any power behind it. Keep it in the park. So I'm taking we, we aren't too concerned, I guess, about the pitching at this point after just a... Are we talking it up to just a couple of games of PNC Park BS and leaving yeah. it there? I do think Ryan's earlier point on the earlier podcast about Adrian Hauser's splits are starting to rear their head a little bit too. Um, we saw that on Friday, yeah. Yeah, he's starting to get beat up, uh, I guess. He's been getting beat up by opposite side pitching quite a bit, but it's starting to actually impact his games a little bit more. So that is something to keep an eye on. And if, if he does start to struggle more against opposite sided lineups that could be uh, that could be problematic down the line because he has been one of the the guys you can actually count on there aside from Woodruff so um and Brett Anderson (laughs) (laughs) I thought I thought Hauser started fine yeah I mean I thought Hauser's start on Friday was really pretty good he did give up four runs but he went seven innings and I didn't think that the contact that he gave up to lefties was particularly troublesome like you weren't looking at for the most part, like guys absolutely uh, murdering baseballs off of him. Yeah. Well, so. the three run inning was on three singles. Yeah, that's true. That's singles. a good point. It was just bad. Also bad luck. Yeah, but but I Which, I do agree. We might see that more against Hauser. Like the Pirates lined up six straight lefties or switch hitters against him. I think yep. with expanded rosters, if teams can afford to do that, I think maybe the book's getting out on him a little bit more. So that, that might be something to watch going forward. But I think then you just tighten the strings, maybe piggyback, do an official piggyback with the Freddie Peralta. Sure. And uh, yeah. although I think Brett Anderson is the one who needs the official piggyback at all times, he's looked <laughs> good the few times they've let him go, quote unquote, long for how long I'd like Brett Anderson to be in a game. I, I'm concerned, I think, most about Lindblom, which is he's actually looked good. He has a 13K per nine, but mm. then the. The walk rate has been awful for a starter. I know yeah. we can get away with more walks these days in the starting rotation than uh, older era pitchers used to be able to get away with, but I don't think a starting pitcher can survive a four and a half walk per nine. No, so that's nope. pretty disappointing to see. His his FIP is at a four eight six, which I think is fine if the offense is playing and he's your fifth starter. But other than that, I mean, you look at Woodruff, Burns, and Hauser, and even with Hauser giving up three or four runs a start, that's been a pretty solid rotation. Brett yeah. Anderson has been able to control the other side's offense, and that the offense seems to show up for Brett Anderson as in brew, true Brewer style. They always show up for the worst pitcher on the team, right? <laughs> I, I think if Lindblom can get right, I'm feeling even better about it. The little blips and big offense given up seem to be mostly an anomaly. Uh, you know, suitors look good, but he's had these bad instances of getting hit hard on uh, like when they let make him go probably a little further than he should. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, he had a di- uh, difficult time yesterday, but every Brewers pitcher who came out, as I mentioned, had a bad time yesterday. <laughs> so when you're 
looking at him, you know, normally it's a clean first. It seems this season it's been a lot of clean first innings. They send him out for a second, then he gets beat up. And it's like, well, Craig, maybe you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Uh, Especially when you have a deeper bullpen and you have these guys available. Like, I mean, Freddie's just been really good to watch out of the bullpen this year. You have David Phelps who can go multiple innings, who has been one of the better bullpen pitchers in baseball alongside Devin Williams. I, I don't know. I just I guess I'm just not as worried about that. It's just been like crap that they all seem to fail together, which is something I already mentioned. Like yeah. everything's failing at the same time. Yep. I'm not not nearly as worried about the pitching as I am the offense. So I, I agree with that. They're gonna every every aspect will have bad outings occasionally, offense, defense, whatever. But the, the offense has been more consistently problematic. The pitching will come around and be fine again. Yeah, and Lynn Bloom, I mean, you're looking at a guy. He has a 68% strand rate right now. That's really low and much lower than it should be for a guy that strikes batters out at the rate that he does. Mm. And so it really does seem like he's he's in one of those funks where he, when he puts runners on, just an inordinate amount of problems are coming from that. And I don't think you can chalk this up to like him having trouble throwing out of the stretch or something like that. I it, That doesn't seem to be what this is. I think this is just things clustering poorly for him you look at all the the peripheral numbers you know yeah it's a 6.65 era but it's a 4.86 uh fip a 3.68 x fip like he is getting somewhat unlucky here and so i think yeah, and he's I, a better pitcher it, than what we're seeing runs prevention wise hitters only have a 7.5 barrel percentage against them and 35.8% hard hit percentage. I, I agree. Yeah. He is the victim of bad luck. I think once we get DRA minus, which I think is a better uh, look at pitcher performance than uh, FIP is once they had the data for that and can put it together, I think we're going to get actually a fairly favorable look at how his performance has been. So I think it's mostly bad luck. I can completely agree with that assessment. So I think the rotation's actually been good, which I think is surprising to a lot of people. (laughs) But, and obviously the the back end of the bullpen has been really strong. It's just been those transition innings have been kind of wild cards to get through. And two, you're you're using, you were using before they put him on the IL, Corey Knable, like the Corey Knable of old, and he hasn't been that once again this season. He's going through another funk, which is disappointing, Mm -hmm. but at least you don't need him. When you have Devin Williams, you have David Phelps, you don't need Corey Knable to be Corey Knable. You just need yep. him to not have an 11.57 ERA. I wouldn't say that, Brad. I mean, I think that they were pretty quick on the on giving Knable, uh, moving him out of high leverage. He really didn't pitch late in close games, starting pretty much right away. Like, they were using him as a mop-up guy, I think, even in game one. Like, I think it, it was really uh, early that they started using him that way. But I think what they did was they started putting him in positions where they were trying to use him as like a fireman, where it's like, hey, go yeah. throw 97 and get the her and get out of this two runner on situation. And then that that's when he would get blown up. Mm-hmm. So they'd say like, ah, if he can throw 97 and get out of this, like, or get this one out, and then he wouldn't get the one out. He'd give up two hits and then get that yeah. out. And he'd be throwing 94 instead of 97, which right. is a big part of his problem this year. Yeah, Right. I think we're looking at the classic situation of Brewer's closer was once phenomenal, but he was a random anomaly. And now he's probably on the outs for his career, which is a bummer. I really like Corey Knable, but I, it, it is a lot less painful than it was last season for 
the pitchers we've already ran through. I mean, I wouldn't ever on a guy who's like what 15 months removed from Tommy John surgery, 16 months removed. I wouldn't close the book on their career, especially a guy who's like, what is he 30? The issue for me is even before the Tommy John surgery. Hey, I've watched, we watched this story with Brewers closers how many times before. So I'm definitely jaded by history, but what I look at is before Tommy John surgery, aside from that Mm -hmm. September in 2018, he was awful that entire. He was rocky. A lot of 2018. Yeah. Yeah, He did. He did struggle then. That's true. So I think when I look at his struggles now and I think about who he was before that September, and October that's what I I see him as now and I just see him as on the outs but you're right I mean a if he does have a hamstring injury that is a legitimate issue for getting velocity b he is coming off Tommy John surgery and you never can expect a pitcher to be pretty much full bore especially with the work he had put in coming into the season which is the least of all the pitchers working right now because he wasn't really throwing competitively in spring training. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was still recovering while everyone was on standby. And then he comes in and he has those two weeks. So there's a lot of things that can be responsible for why Corey Knebel is pitching the way Corey Knebel is. However, given that 2018 season, I, I just see the same old story we always saw. Sure. Well, I want to switch gears here. We got a couple more questions, one more Patreon question. And uh, it's kind of a big topic considering as this episode drops, we're going to be one week away from the trade deadline, believe it or not. So that puts the Brewers and a lot of teams into a really tough situation. Basically, they need to decide what they're going to do in the next week. And actually, this morning, as we record this, David Stearns kind of addressed the issue. Uh, According to Adam McKelvey, he said, David Stern said uh, they're going to consider their su- themselves open to a variety of different possibilities. <laughs> he says, quote, when you're in my position, you always want to add to your team. We also have to be smart. So part of that is your typical David Stern's GM speak, not giving away his strategy. Also, I think it kind of implies there's a lot to go on in the next week or so. But basically, Adam Post, patron, is asking us, how should the Brewers approach the trade line, trade deadline, buyers, sellers, some sort of each. As I said, we're a week away now, and the Brewers are only about a game out of the playoff hunt. So it kind of complicates factors, I guess. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't see them being sellers in any sort of traditional way. Maybe they would move a guy that's a little veterany for something else in a way to still try to compete this year, but they're not going to sell with the intent of, you know, being done for the season at this point. They might do a little roster shuffling and uh, you know, subtract a strength here and to to shore up a weakness there. But I don't see anything like that. How aggressively they buy. I mean, we there was that Robert Murray tweet where he said that uh, they are currently looking at guys of multiple years of control, which I feel like we've seen that before, right? Like that's been yeah. something that gets reported yeah, like two weeks before the deadline that Stearns wants multiple week or multiple years of control. I think it's a a league trend, really. Control has been one of the most valuable assets in trade recently. We've seen that the value in rental players has gone down significantly when those trades are made. So I think that is a Stearns thing, but I also think it's an industry thing where they really do want more years of control. And that that is becoming one of the most valuable parts of uh, any trade that an MLB team can put together. So I think... Yes, you are right, but I think that's also just how it goes. Yep. You you see, they were so excited to get Jonathan Scope, 
and because he had that extra year control right. and then that worked out at, as we all remember except for yeah. maybe ryan <laughs> I, I mostly wanted to bring that up to take a jab yeah but i, I think i think that's right like when you think of sellers you're often thinking of a team that's going to start rebuilding and sell off sort of older you know assets for prospects and they're not going to do that especially in a 60 game season you might you might see a combination of buying and selling you might see them get rid of a few expensive older pieces but you know it's not like they're going to trade Yelich for a package or anything like that not ha- nothing like that's going to happen they're they're still set up with guys to contend in the future. This is a, a season that frankly doesn't matter that much. And even if you did do a sell-off, there's still no guarantee you wouldn't make the playoffs. They're only, they've played about <laughs> right. as badly as you can, and they're a half game out of them right now. It's, right. <laughs> so they'll probably just keep an eye out for bargains and keep an eye out for opportunities to you know, get money off the books and things like that. And it'll look like that. And you know, nothing too ground, earth-breaking or you know, earth-shattering. Even looking at the pieces that they have to sell though so we talked about how this one year in an option deal made them in a pretty good situation put them in a pretty good place to sell but jed jerko is the only one who might be considered an asset to a team otherwise everyone else is under team control or just crappy nobody (laughs) wants to trade for any of the guys they could have flipped anyway right so i mean that's part of the problem does any fan base does any fan base have some weird love for justin smoke out there is that a thing (laughs) no i don't know so (laughs) toronto would be maybe the only one but they don't have a first base issue they actually (laughs) are pretty good in that category so I think you're looking at David Phelps would be probably the mm-hmm. best trade asset you have. But when you have him to a very friend, team friendly option, I think it's like four and a half million next year. Yeah. That doesn't seem very David Stearnsy to get rid of. The only player I think that you could possibly deal and get a lot back for right now is Hater. Hater. <laughs> I don't think they're considering that in a midseason deal. Right. And we actually do have a question on that. I know we've talked about this a couple of times in the last few weeks. Uh, but we got a Twitter question from Alex Brodkey. He says, if the Brewers continue to struggle, would you entertain offers for Hader? He says he would, but the return will likely never be higher than it is now for a guy like him. I'm not sure if I agree with that for reasons we kind of talked about in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we did see the Red Sox, as Brad mentioned, trade away uh, Workman and Hembry in the last week. So I don't know. Maybe there is a if there's a market out there for trades right now, maybe it is that late inning reliever. I mean, I probably would trade hater because he's always been weird and yeah he's been super dominant but there's some concern on that velo drop that we've seen this year too and i I just get the feeling with him that at one point we're just gonna have a a, just a a stark cutoff where he's gonna be bad all of a sudden um uh, like can he lose another you know mile per hour off of his fastball and still be hater maybe he can i don't know but um every year he seems to just get a little bit worse in in his peripherals and um at some point that's going to be bad. And he has a bad injury profile. I don't, I I, I wouldn't maybe this year's not going to bring strong returns because it's a weird season and people aren't looking for huge upgrades probably, but uh, I would kind of always be open to trading hater if the right package came by and somebody was overvaluing his, his production versus his sort of projection on what you can expect in the future. I mean, yeah, the question would be, what can you get in this market? And we we talked about that last episode or two yeah. episodes ago or whatever. And I just I don't think you're going to get that kind of return. And if you did get that kind of a return, I think you'd instantly be skeptical that they know something you don't know, because yeah. the, the minor league seasons have not been working the way that they even even if you do get that data from the alternate sites, 
and you're able to mm-hmm. see some of the stuff, those guys aren't playing in a normal environment, and there it's nothing about that is is really indicative of what a normal baseball season would look like. So it's right. very hard to know, and I just yeah, I, I can't see them moving their their biggest trade ship, a guy that is so valuable in this market because of the ability to go multiple innings because of being an absolute you know bat misser late in a game we've seen that that has been really really highly valued on the trade market much more so than it used to be and so i can't see them taking and and moving that right now when the the trade market just can't be good like it just can't and you can't trust the return no i mean look at what the red sox got for workman and hembry they got was it Nick Pavetta who's had good stuff, but he's sort of like the the Chatwood variety where like the stuff has not translated to results at all, right? So but to be fair, Brandon Workman sucks. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean he, he he came in and gave up a home run in his first Phillies appearance, which is typical and Phillies too. Yeah. But he is a free agent next year. So that, that also plays into it too. I mean Josh Hader has control. So I think the the thing with him is you are looking at a player who can give you good value uh, even in a season like this. He's probably one of those situations because he has so much team control left. However, the assets are so limited. You can't really get those deep farm system picks that David Stearns has kind of built his success around in developing players like Freddie Peralta because you are able to make those gambles. So when you don't have a full team's, assets at your disposal i don't see how that's beneficial unless they're going to give you someone who can help your team now and has plenty of team control like can you trade josh Hader for i know kirby yates is injured so maybe someone like a trent grisham <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> we wow. didn't want to get there didn't didn't didn't, didn't we want to uh, i just I, Painfully I, reminisce about Trent Grisham. that's three, three home, home runs, runs yesterday uh, a grand slam short of the homer cycle I, I said on Twitter, actually, I'm very happy that that trade happened for him. I know he was yeah. uh, mentally burdened by the air at the end of the Nationals game last season. And I, I don't know if he has this type of success uh, with the Brewers. It, I think a young, energetic team is like the optimal landing spot for him. Plus, yeah. we got Eric Lauer, who hates Omar Narvaez. <laughs> God. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people hate Omar Narvaez right now, yeah, but that's okay. Uh, so, so yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Brad, that, you know, David Stearns definitely likes those A-ball lottery picks that can kind of really make or break a trade. And it's just impossible to pick those guys up because they're not necessarily the ones being added to that 60-player pool. So, and you're losing right. a full year of development on those guys too. So, I mean, I don't know what sense it makes to really try to make that move. Right, and there's no guarantee that in 2021 we're going to have minor league baseball back. Yeah, that's I, that's I, true too. Those neg- I, negotiations are ongoing, and you know, COVID will still be a thing. And yeah, I mean, we're talking multiple reasons why that yeah. could still happen. Still, I think if he gets traded, it has to be this winter. I think that's the ideal time to trade him because I I do think that's when his value is going to be the highest. Because there's other teams that value affordability as well. So once he starts getting to the 12 million mark, inevitably through arbitration, especially when you're only letting him pitch in saves instances where he has a high chance to not be scored upon it's yeah. going to look good for him in arbitration even though we don't know what arbitration is going to be real weird this year yeah yeah no, i don't know 
it's really hard to look at and consider. I think if someone, I mean, of course, always be open to it. Always, always be open to it. But you have to, I think, look at it from the perspective of, are you getting known commodities back? Yeah. Right. Uh, I guess I have another question. We didn't get a submission on this. So, so James on Twitter at James L is asking Brad of the players, the uh, Brewers. So the Brewers recently added a lot of prospects to the 60 man player pool. And, you know, the speculation is that's because we're getting close to trade season. Teams want something on these potential trade pieces. I guess, is there anybody the Brewers added in the last week or two that could make sense if they were going to add somebody and as opposed to selling off? I mean, you're looking at players like Aaron Ashby, who yeah. I'm in love with, uh, is, but he's probably one of the top trade chips in the organization. So if you're going to go out there and you're going to get a difference maker at like third base, you know, having him finally in the 60-man player pool is something that is going to benefit you, especially it restricts teams to using kind of old data on him, which is probably beneficial to the team you're looking at players like Tristan Lutz. I mean, the top players are in the farm system right now. I think mm-hmm. you could pr- still get rentals for some of these lower pieces like uh, Peyton Henry. So you could use Peyton Henry to uh, get a player who maybe has a year and a half left, but isn't a significant difference maker, but they definitely have the impact players in the 60-man player pool right now that opens the door to them adding a significant piece that they wanted. Uh, I just don't know if the league likes these players enough to really consider that. We like them, but, you know, Aaron Ashby might be number 400 on a team's top 500 prospects, and that isn't going to get you a a player like Nolan Arenado, who the Rockies seem like seemed eager in the offseason to get rid of no but it might get you a drew pomerantz 2020 version exactly so you're looking at those mauricio de bon drew pomerantz like trades uh significant trades <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly but you're, yeah you're looking at something along those lines of those guys can get you the top tier rentals however when you look at the ideal rental positions the Brewers are kind of covered in that spot, right? Do they need another elite bullpen pitcher? Right. They've got the arms already kind of in the system yeah, that they've they tried to, to get that. So, yeah, I, I think they're pretty fine in that regard where they don't need to go out and rush and get a, a Drew Pomerantz, maybe a Joaquin Soria where you can give a lesser asset. Sure. Um, I, I think that type of trade is the reality, but you yeah. definitely don't need to be giving up top tier players like that. I think the only if you're looking at play uh, positions like first base and third base, which are obvious weaknesses. And if you can get control for that, great. I, I don't think the brewers are in a good situation to make an impact trade regardless uh, via talent or need. What about just like a guy who is a corner bat that is hitting the ball and that's all you're going to really ask him to do. I wonder like Mitch Moreland, the Red Sox are going to be moving players over the sure. next week. And Mitch Moreland this year, granted, we're talking a tiny sample here. It's 63 plate appearances, but dude is hitting 340, 444, 792 for a 222 OPS plus. Uh, That would look good (laughs) in this lineup right now. You know, like, yeah, but would you want to give up Justin Smoke's playing time? 
<laughs> well, they do have they do have the DH, so you know. Yeah, like a DH. That's you could you could you could uh, yeah, fudge I mean, things around like teams that are in miserable positions like that. Uh, go get JD David or <laughs> JD Martinez. JD <laughs> Martinez. I don't know why I said JD Davis. Uh, yeah, the Mets are trash too. It's fine. <laughs> go get JD Martinez, and uh, he has an opt out after the season anyway. He, I don't think he'll do it because he would want to test these free agent waters. Right. I mean, let's but, talk about this though. Like Mitch Moreland has a, he has a team option for next year, $3 million. Like, ah, Sternsy. I like it. This is okay. the Actually, most Sternsy thing. Like, <laughs> would you trade, how good a player would you trade to get Mitch Moreland on the team? Like, this is legitimate. Like, what would you do to do that? Would you give hmm. up an Ashby? I, I think that is like a Peyton Henry type situation, right? Peyton Henry is a legitimate catching prospect. Catching is a relatively weak position, but the thing is you got to give something with at her Henry and it's got to be yeah. something probably of equal, equal value. So you're probably looking at one of your starters who are there, which yeah, you're looking at a, you're probably an Ashby. So do you do that to prospect package? I think if you're the brewers right now, you're looking at a surplus of young pitching. Ashby is movable. Yeah, sure. I, I think I'm okay with that. Right. But I think also, you know, I guess for Moreland's aspect, there's at least the, the the thing of him being here next year too. But I know Paul's brought up in the in the past with the deadlines, you're looking for that one extra war, but in an expanded playoff situation for this year, does that make sense to really give up two prospects for the very marginal improvement you're gonna get, you know? I don't I don't right. know if I'd be comfortable with that, but I don't know. Paul, what are your thoughts? Uh so just just to go back to Mitch Moreland for a second. I also just am doing an exercise in my brain where I examine whether if before the season, if you added Mitch Moreland, if I would be calling him Justin Smoke and <laughs> maybe yeah, I think he's a little better, actually. I, I I think I might be OK with that. But yeah, I, I do think so. They've played as badly as they can. They're a half game out of the playoffs. Uh, if, if they're looking at it from the front office perspective, like, yeah, if you do get one war, that maybe pushes you into the playoffs. But like. It, they're just random chance out of the playoffs right now too. And I think that's how everybody's going to be looking at it, except for the teams that are explicitly bad, like the pirates. So I just don't see any, any major moves and probably many minor moves happening for that reason. It's, it's just hard to buy your way into a playoff where almost everybody makes it. That's any good anyway. I think you're looking at a situation where third base and first base are awful, awful they are. free if agent can, pools next year, and they're awful yeah, right now. If you can improve point for too. 2020 and 2021, you do it. Yeah. And I think if you're David Stearns, that's the only way you're thinking about it. Is it, it, or if you can improve, or if you can improve <laughs> that, you know, Brett Anderson is likely gone next season. They've always shown that they're willing to sign that cheap one-year free agent and then just let him go. Wade Miley, uh, Gio Gonzalez, who they lucked into getting back a second time. That they're willing to make those moves. So I think that's another situation where you're looking at, well, can I get one and a half on that replacement level starter that can be there for when Brett Anderson goes? And then we can get Corbin Burns back into that kind of piggyback role. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. A lot can change in just a few days when we're looking at the shortened season, too. So I guess we'll see if a week from now we're talking about the Brewers' new first baseman, Mitch Moreland, or if we're talking about <laughs> Jed Jerko being traded for a marginal prospect. I don't know. The we'll thing that <laughs> it's it's August 31st. We are record we record on Sundays. 
something huge is inevitably going to happen <laughs> this, either the second we hang up or yeah. the morning of august 31st because exactly. that always happens to us yeah right before the podcast uh, will drop they'll they'll have the major breaking news yeah so i don't just, know just yeah. by the way mitch marland and justin smoke have identical career ops pluses just fyi just I was gonna say and, they and, seem very similar to me. They're like, very similar. Yeah. yeah, if you line them up side by side, they're just very similar players for their for their careers. So uh, I don't know that that I'm not doing that. <laughs> He's he immediately struck me as just the same kind of guy, a waiver wire guy who I pick up in fantasy when my first baseman gets hurt, and I think that that's correct. So yeah, not I'm not in on that. We already have that guy. Smoke might turn it around. Same chances. Nathan Eovaldi. Ooh, there's a name. Rebound. Rebound. Yeah, there we go. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do, too, because I think as we've pointed out a couple of times, too, with a basically a two month schedule, it's entirely possible the Brewers, you know, finish August two or three games under and then they go five games over in September and suddenly everything's great and they're in the playoffs just as we expected. Right. So. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what's going to be available out there, too, because as we've said, there's maybe only, what, two or three teams who are truly out of it at this point that would consider selling. The Red Sox are the first team to actually basically try to do that. So Even the Pirates, though, you look at, aside from, like, he, uh, however you pronounce their closer's last name, I'm very bad at name pronunciation. Keone Kella, yeah. Keone yeah. Kella. Aside from him, like a their bullpen sucks b they don't have movable assets who are healthy this season so i don't I know what josh bell but that's probably about it i yeah. don't think they trade josh bell no they probably won't but i mean if they're gonna move somebody that'd probably be the best one to move for them too yeah so i get what you're but, saying they're they're in a brewer situation where everybody sucks who wants these guys and in the when you look at David Stearns and you're talking about being a half game out and probably being playing the worst you could possibly play I don't know why you want to buy. Things are only going to get better, theoretically. And if they stay bad, (laughs) whatever. It's a 60-game season. Like, okay, you get a good draft pick again, and David Stearns and the front office, David Stearns has assembled, has done well with those draft picks aside from Corey Ray. Let it happen, and you, you just go with it as you need to move forward with it. And it is what it is. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the next week or so, but I'm going to guess that we're going to have a lot to talk about when we meet up again next Sunday. (laughs) Like Uh, I said, the uh, the only way it happens to me is if you either get a prospect back that you really like, which I don't think is going to be a thing. I don't think prospect trades are really going to be that impactful for teams like the Brewers this year. Or if you get a a player who's going to help you in 2021 and and 2022, possibly. Yeah, it's going to be minor moves. It'll be around the fringes of the roster. It's not going to be for some massive impact, big name player. Yeah. And I think you might get like a lot of major league piece for major league piece swaps, right? Like, oh, right. Okay. well, we just like, saw yeah, that. For a lever. You have. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's sort of what That's... the Phillies and the Red Sox just did. Yep, well, exactly. and two, if you look back at like 2015, I think it was where that was the only type of trade that happened at the deadline where it seemed like, hey, we have a hole in the outfield. And you have a lot of outfielders and we have a lot of pitchers. Let's make the swap. Like mm-hmm. maybe uh, the Brewers can like work out a Mike Clevenger thing. Nice. <laughs> uh, and then he'll have plenty of bars to visit. Yeah, there we go. Uh, man. 
I, I am anticipating Stearns trying to buy Loa and Clevenger next year. I don't know if I want Zach Plezak after his little Instagram rant. Oh, but I, would, I, would yeah. take, I would take Clevenger, Clevenger. over Plezak any day. But apparently yes. they don't want him on the team anymore. Uh, and they, you saw what happened when they didn't want Trevor Bauer. And they constantly develop pitchers. So it's not like they'll have a problem replacing him. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm anticipating us getting a lot of Patreon questions the next week. Uh, reminder, when you do sign up to become a patron, you get... Uh, question priority here in the podcast and we do have a new patron to shout out this week ryan who we got hey we've got a name that i can pronounce i think i can nail this without even having right. to, to take a, a a blink all right yeah so michael held thank you for becoming a patron and uh enjoy we uh we actually do have we're, we're working on getting something lined up for the september minor league extra it should be a a really special treat something we've been trying to, to put together for a little while here so hopefully that goes and probably looking at a pretty early one this next month so stay tuned for that good deal uh also a good deal just five dollars a month for that minor league extra and uh that level on patreon.com so if you got that uh feel free to sign up you get that minor league extra you get paul's reporting as eligible mini pods Lots of other good stuff, too. So just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate to sign up. Uh, in the meantime, if you have something else you want us to talk about, too, you can also just send us a question on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at MKE tailgate. We send out a call for questions every single week. Just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow all of us on Twitter and send us questions that way. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Ryan is at RD Top, Brad is at Brew Crew Blue, and I'm at James L. While you're at it, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Overcast, anywhere else you listen to your podcast, please do subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a review. Let us know what we can do better in the weeks that come, uh, or just say something nice about us. We like it when, uh, you know, you don't call us an idiot. So just leave a review and that's all good. Uh, in the meantime, we have a, a week to go from the trade deadline, as we said. Probably hoping to have a lot to talk about next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. In the meantime, stay well, and we will see you then. Welcome to the team, Daniel Murphy.